0: Hello, this is William Fink of Christagenia.org. And this is Christigenia Internet Radio. Praise Yahweh to God of Israel, and thank you for listening. Today is Friday, May 22nd, 2020. And rather than presenting this podcast live, I'm pre-recording it early Friday morning because we have a house full of guests, so for that reason, I've delayed starting my commentaries on either the first epistle of John or the wisdom of Solomon, and hopefully I will begin one of those, probably the wisdom of Solomon, next week, that's what I'm planning presently. That could always change. That's just the way life is. But they will be, Yahweh willing, they will be initiated soon. This evening, I am going to present and critique a sermon by Bertrand Compere titled, Birth Pangs of the Coming Age. While Compere had excellent insight in many respects, in others, it would be difficult to miss the proverbial handwriting on the wall. Yet none of us can ever really know exactly what lies over the horizon. So sometimes even the most visible trends don't always result in the conditions or outcomes that we may have imagined beforehand. As I have said many times in the past, prophecy does not exist so that we can see the future, but rather so that once it unfolds, we can look back and know that God is true. Like most of Compré's sermons, it is difficult to know exactly when this was written or delivered. But here he he has helped us by mentioning a 1967 event in its last paragraph. His remarks on the struggles between the interests of capital and organized labor Remind me of the newspaper headlines relating to that same thing, which were ubiquitous throughout the early 1970s. So if I had to guess, I would date this sermon around 1974 to 1976, right around the same time that former Teamsters Union leader Jimmy Hoffa had disappeared. Aside from the visible trends, who could foresee things such as the so-called coronavirus pandemic? Not that we believe in the pandemic, since in my opinion, it is a hoax, or at the very least, the hype is a hoax, which I had first stated here well over two months ago. Several years ago, Bill Gates predicted such a pandemic at the same time that he was investing billions of dollars in pharmaceutical companies to profit from vaccines that such a pandemic might might require. And he was giving, all throughout that same time, large grants to certain scientific research institutions to create it for him. So Gates really isn't a prophet, but a conspirator. Now the pandemic, which his cabal had created, is being used to decimate small businesses and the personal finances of tens or even hundreds of millions of people to test the effectiveness of population control and certainly the level of population obedience not only to government, but also the level of compliance with what they are told by mainstream media. In the aftermath of this, we will know for sure that most people will readily comply even to the poisoning of their own bodies. Now, most of the populations of what was formerly known as Christendom, the white nations of the world are stricken with fear. But what they do not know and what they will not hear in churches, even if they go to churches, is that fear itself is a punishment from God for disobedience to his word. In the warnings of punishment, Punishments for disobedience found in Deuteronomy chapter 28. We read, and thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. So all these clowns are out there wearing masks and backing away from people to get too close to them. Afraid for their lives. And thy life shall hang in doubt before thee. And thou shalt fear day and night, and shalt have none assurance of thy life. In the morning thou shalt say, would God it were evening. And at evening thou shalt say, would God it were morning. For the fear of thine heart, wherewith thou shalt fear, and for the sight of thine eyes, which thou shalt see, most likely all the fear porn that all these people see every evening on the 10 o'clock news. And they wish it were morning so that they could sleep in peace. And then they get up and they see Good Morning America and the same fear porn repeated over again. And they worry all day, wearing masks and gloves and going out to Walmart and (laughs) shopping one way in the aisles. And God forbid you get too close to them. They shirk away in fear. It's crazy. And Deuteronomy chapter 28 explains the whole thing. If a virus can make people agree to give up their very livelihoods and stay locked up as prisoners in their own homes, going out of doors only to obtain the basic necessities if they could even find them, while hiding their faces behind masks and avoiding contact with their own neighbors, what would they do in the face of a real tangible enemy? They are defeated even before the sound of a trumpet calls them to battle. Now it appears that if they that they may now it appears that they may remain defeated as society is being re-engineered in nefarious ways whereby they may all be permanently enslaved to international corporations and forced to eat artificial fodder while submitting to the chemical manipulation of their own bodies. But because of their fear and their faith in the false gods of media, science, and government, they will be happy to do these things. That is a punishment that even the prophets of God did not have the words to fully describe. So now we will hear from Bertrand Comparé and many of our own comments as we discuss his sermon, Birth Pangs of the Coming Age. And if I don't laugh, I'll probably cry. Once again, this was taken from Gene Snyder's transcription of Comparé's sermons which he originally titled Your Heritage and digitized by Clifton Emmehizer, who had also added some of his own critical notes. And Compré begins, and we are going to add quite a few notes of our own. Compré begins, Very few people are satisfied with the present age. Even the materialists want to change it. Consequently, They are easy prey to communism because they have no ideals or principles. Their motto is let's get all we can by any means possible. The way I see it, there are basically two groups in society. The one, the tares, most of the, represents most of the materialists. But white Christians or wheat, who are without Christ, can also fall into this group because they are Judaized and only have a marginal understanding of the gospel if they have not forsaken Christ completely. This group naturally pushes society down the brink into the abyss of Sodom and Gomorrah. They are never satisfied with the present age until they get there, but once they arrive, they will still not be satisfied because there is never any true satisfaction in lasciviousness and materialism and and the, the accompanying idolatry that comes with materialism. When a man is on the path of sin, the sins must get more and more grievous. The toys have to be bigger and bigger, the sexual deviancy, the perversions, greater and greater, until finally he is destroyed in his lusts. The other group, the weed, which are white Christians who at least seek to be marginally faithful to the gospel of Christ, are also not satisfied with society, but for different reasons. However, their satisfaction will not come either until society itself is destroyed, but with different results than what may be expected by the tares. With two groups, polar opposites, wheat and tares, the destruction of society, which is the proverbial fall of Babylon, is inevitable. Compre is right about the first group, Although many Christians are also materialists, they are easy prey to communism because their principles have been communized. Today, that it is, have been compromised, I'm sorry. Today, that is perfectly clear, observing their response to the so-called pandemic and their blind willingness to follow the media and submit to totalitarian government control of their lives and even of what flows through their very veins. The life is in the blood. Science and government cannot give life, not at all. They can only bring death. As he continues, Compre is correct about the second group as well. White Christians, even if he said it in only a few words, we want something better. Not just more pay for the unions, more time to, re- to watch worse television, more money to buy synthetic whiskey, or bigger and more deadly traffic jams. We want the true liberty, the real good, which can come only in the kingdom of Yahweh. I honestly, and, and I was curious by this remark, this synthetic whiskey, I honestly do not know much about whiskey and I don't drink much of it. I said much of it. I can say that in the 1970s, much of the industry was controlled by Jewish families with criminal histories, such as the Bronfmans. So I would put nothing past them. However, compare passed on in 1980, and making a quick search, I could find nothing about the commercial production of synthetic whiskey for sale until 2018. But since the concept was the subject of a paper produced by the U.S. Treasury Department in 1936, and even in articles dating to as early as 1906, it was probably done much earlier than recent times, and perhaps compare knew something that we don't. This is a digression, so we will continue with Compare. There is no way to bring in the true good while the forces of evil of the present age still rule the world. What chance has any good while our country is in the hands of stupid or traitorous politicians or, in fact, just plain in the hands of Jews? There is no political party left in these United States which even pretends to represent the majority of the people. And of course there were very few, or I should say comparatively few, open Jews in office in Camperes time. But I recall critiquing one of his sermons a few months ago where he actually spoke well of, or implied, or seemed to speak well of, Barry Goldwater, who was a Jew, Just because he was a conservative and a Republican or whatever doesn't make him good. Of course, this is true that good cannot be brought in as long as we are suffering under the forces of evil, the princes of this world in the present age. But in America, it has probably been the prevailing predicament since the days of Andrew Jackson and often even earlier. We will never see the kingdom of heaven so long as we have any king other than Yahshua Christ. The American empire stands as a bar to the kingdom of heaven, so it shall never become manifest until it and whatever attempts to replace it fails. We cannot rule out the fact that there may be attempts to replace it, to replace the American empire with another entity having world hegemony. Continuing with compare, both labor and capital would gladly sink the ship of state. If only they can steal a larger piece of the wreckage for themselves. It has reached the point where man alone can't clean up the mess he has made. Only Yahweh's strong hand will suffice. While it might be a study which takes years if it has not already been done, and it very probably has, it seems that in the 1960s and 1970s at least, so called labor interests and capitalists did sink the ship of state, colluding to destroy industry so that it could all be moved to China. By the time Comparé gave this sermon, most of the formerly industrial northeast was already deindustrialized the factories and mills rotting in decay and the industries were sent to southeast asia or japan or korea or or, or wherever in the pacific rim 15 years ago i was following the bankruptcy and closing of a steel mill in western pennsylvania it was reported to have had four pensioners for every employee. No venture, no business, capitalist or Christian, could function profitably under those circumstances. At the same time, there were auto plant closures, mostly because the unions had forced the auto manufacturers to agree to maintain a designated number of workers at each plant whether or not automobiles were being manufactured and sold. The auto manufacturers couldn't change the contracts, so they closed the plants instead, and then the contracts didn't need to be changed. They were done. No business could function under those circumstances either. While I despise Jewish capitalism, and we all should, To me, it is obvious that organized labor was complicit in the deindustrialization of the West, which was also the objective of capitalism for many other reasons. So, what I'm saying is that Camperé was right in his assessment. Continuing with Compare, in the past, Yahweh has allowed evil to destroy itself. He has used different groups of evil men to overthrow apostate Israel and Judah. Some somewhat the same thing may underlie the present grouping of the pagan and godless nations of the world against the Christian nations. These nations have allowed the aliens who hate Yahshua to come in. They have infiltrated every activity, business, churches, government, and turn our people away from their loyalty to Christ and our racial way of life. And of course, Compre is speaking of Jews, but he Even he did not quite see that the Jews, the Satan, which crawled out of the pit of the ghettos of medieval Europe, would exacerbate the situation by opening the floodgates to the brown hordes of Africa, India, Southeast Asia, and Mexico, and Central and South America. The Immigration Act, which encouraged that, was signed in 1965 but the results were not quite fully manifest for some time. If they had been, perhaps Compré may have mentioned them frequently. Now there is something else he did not fully foresee where he continues and says individually, the great majority of our race are still Christian. Compré saw Christianity as a belief and in a recent critique of one of his sermons, He even expressed the belief that people of other races could be, quote-unquote, Christian. And, of course, we disagree with all of that. Christianity is not a belief. It is a racial covenant which God made with the children of Israel exclusively. Nobody else could be a Christian. Christ said, I came only for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. However, to be a Christian, one may be under that racial covenant, but to be a Christian, one should also be a follower of Christ, of course, because God comes first, race comes second, but God's promises and covenants are with only one race, period. Individually, the great majority of our race are still Christian. However, we have allowed control of all phases of our lives to slip out of our hands until our nations have lost their proudly Christian character. In 1975, this was more true than it is today. But these past 15 years that, that the great majority of our race are still Christian, but these past 15 years, the Jewish media has virtually trumpeted The creation of a post-Christian society in America, in Europe, and other nations formed from its colonies. Societies have been post-Christian or secularized for much longer. And now few modern Europeans even profess a belief in a God or in God. We are still in a pattern where whites are moving away from Christianity. And therefore, it may be some time before the pendulum swings and a sufficient number of them realize a need to return to Christ and to repent of their immorality. Even so-called Christian churches have now accepted the progressive agenda, symbolized by the prevalence of both mixed race and sodomite marriages, so they are not even Christian. Therefore, where compare continues, it may be a long time before, as he says, such conditions must be corrected. Yahweh's protection is given to those who are loyal to him, and the rest must be purged away. Hence, the terribly destructive conflict now approaching Will be Yahweh's means of separating the wheat from the tares. The evils of the present time must go before the new age can come in. This will be a continuing process over a period of time. The death agonies of this present age are the birth pangs of the new age. Compre only saw the evils of the present time as they began to unfold. He knew things would get worse. In his day, they were manifest in things such as the trends that are symbolized by Woodstock or the hippie movement in California. Yet, he was certainly correct that the cultural divide, which he was implying, would begin the separation of the wheat and the tares. If our current observation of the slow balkanization of America continues into a broader trend, So now he continues with part of a description given by Christ in answer to three questions where in Matthew chapter 24, as he told his apostles that Jerusalem was soon to be destroyed, they had asked him, tell us, when shall these things be? And what shall be the sign of thy coming and of the end of the world? They themselves could not have known at the time, that his answer would ultimately describe events which would occur at different remote times in different ages, as they seem to have had a mistaken impression that all three questions were connected to one answer, and they certainly were not. So compare continues in reference to the last of their questions, because Compré is seeking the signs of the coming of the new age, the birth pangs of the coming age. The answers of Christ were recorded in a somewhat different manner in Luke chapter 21. I'm sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. Matthew chapter 24, citing Compré. Is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. It gives Joshua's description of the warning signs of the end of the sage and of his return. In Matthew chapter 24, verse 37, Joshua tells us, As the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. And as I started to say, ahead of myself, The answers of Christ were recorded in a somewhat different manner in Luke chapter 21, but putting the two chapters together helps to clarify the meaning because then we could more easily or more readily see, more clearly see what pertains to each question, which statements by Christ are answers to each of those three questions by the Apostles. But we will instead focus on Comprey's comments concerning the answer. Comprey continues by going back to Genesis to see how it was in the days of Noah. But today we are much closer to those times than he could have observed in 1975. I need not belabor, he says. The point that today we are living in conditions much like those of Noah's day. It is told it is all told in the daily newspapers, so it is easy to see. Genesis chapter 6, verses 5 and 11 tell us, And Yahweh saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth also was corrupt before Yahweh, and the earth was filled with violence but Compray leaves it here without further elaboration continuing from where he left off in Matthew chapter 24. Compre read verse 37 so continuing from verse 38 Christ had said for as in the days that were before the flood they were eating and drinking marrying and giving in marriage until the day that noah entered into the ark and he and knew not and they and knew not until the flood came and took them all away so shall also the coming of the son of man be going back to genesis chapter 6 and the days of noah A proper study reveals that the descendants of Adam were eating and drinking with the so-called sons of God, properly the sons of heaven or the fallen angels and giving their daughters to them in marriage, the daughters of Adam. This same sort of race mixing, while it was happening on a much smaller scale in 1975, is absolutely ubiquitous today. And its frequency frequency seems to increase exponentially with every passing year. But while this was the sin of the children of Adam in Genesis chapter 6, it is also at the same time a punishment from God for disobedience to him in other ways as we see in the punishments for disobedience that the children of israel were warned would come upon them in deuteronomy chapter 28 however as we discuss that we will also discuss a few other recent developments first there is the advent of so-called no-fault divorce oppressive property seizures, and alimony, and child support payments. Not to single out women alone, as just as many modern men are sinners. But today, a woman can cheat on her husband, win the house and the children in a divorce case, have her husband put out in the street, and continue to have him support her while she sleeps every night with Bubba, Jody, and Sancho. That is a punishment from God for disobedience. And if not against the particular individual, then as a punishment against the wider community. As we read in Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 30, from verse 30, Thou shalt betroth a wife and another man shall lie with her. Thou shalt build a house, and she gets it, and thou shalt not dwell therein, because Pedro Sancho and Bubba or Jody are taking terms. Thou shalt plant a vineyard, and shalt not gather the grapes thereof. The enemies of our race have accomplished this, not by defeating us in war, but by enslaving us through evil legislation, through wicked legislation, because there should be no such thing as no-fault divorce. Then two verses later in that chapter, we read, Thy sons and thy daughters shall be given unto another people, and thine eyes shall look, and fail with longing for them all the day long, and there shall be no might in thine hand. In other words, you won't be able to do a damn thing about it. This is exactly what is happening as our young men and women go off into so-called marriage, which is not marriage at all, with Jews and Negroes and squat monsters and all sorts of other beasts that we are forced by our own egalitarian society to pretend are people. These are the offspring of the same Nephilim, which the ancient children of Adam had mingled with in Genesis chapter 6. Christ wasn't kidding when he said it would be as the days of Noah. Our children are race-mixing, destroying their own heritage, and there is nothing we can do about it because our own national sin has created the very circumstances which not only make it possible, but... Force us as individuals to comply. There are other punishments for disobedience, but we shall consider one more before proceeding with Bertrand Compare. Just a few verses later in the same chapter from verse 43, the stranger that is within me shall get up very high above thee and thou shalt come down very low. He shall lend to thee, and thou shalt not lend to him. He shall be the head, and thou shalt be the tail. I don't know how many Gentiles have ever loaned out money to a Jew. That's sort of backwards right there. Of course, there never was such a thing as white privilege, as most whites have worked very hard for what they have acquired throughout history. But if one builds a society or or a nation, one would expect to enjoy the benefits provided by that society, and that is not a privilege. However, now with so called equal opportunity laws, which have led to institutionalized minority preferences, institutionalized racism in favor of non whites, the aliens who have been admitted to white nations everywhere have all the privileges all the protections and whites are being disenfranchised and this has been going on for a long time 50 or 60 years now probably 70 years so that too is a punishment from god once we realize all these things we have to keep going back and back in history and see at what point we began to sin that merits these punishments. And today, fathers, and and for 60 years now, fathers worship niggers on television that run a ball up and down a field or a court, and that's idolatry. So all of a sudden, they suffer these punishments because their wives are in bed with Sancho, and their daughters are sleeping with Leroy and that's Deuteronomy chapter 28 right there. Clifton Heiser offered two notes at the end of his publication of this sermon and the first one refers to what Compré had said here about the days of Noah. So Clifton wrote, Compare made the statement in this presentation that Matthew chapter 24 is one of the most important chapters in the Bible. I have to agree with him on his point but not entirely as he has presented it here. He then went on to quote Matthew 24, 37, as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the son of man be. And Clifton says, yes, this is definitely an important sign for the end of the age. And had Camperay lived a little longer to witness the great amount of miscegenation that is going on today, he would have simply been astounded. For my views on Matthew chapter 24, get my paper, Death of a Kingdom and Rebirth of Another. That was a very early um, essay by Clifton. The first 30 verses deal with the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple. Then the subject changes to the signs of Christ's second advent. And verse 37 surely applies to our day. Continuing with Compré <clears throat> for one sentence. I'm sorry, for two sentences. There is another important likeness here. Noah received two warnings of the impending judgment. The first came a century, and he's kind of rounding it out. The first came a century before the flood, telling him to build the ark. And here Compare refers to the 120-year period mentioned in Genesis chapter 6, verse 3, and his interpretation is correct. Many people, including many so-called pastors, misread that passage to imagine that from that time men would live for only 120 years when previously they had lived longer. But while lifespans did indeed shorten, over the generations following the flood of Noah. That phenomenon is not explained by Genesis chapter 6, verse 3. The statement in Genesis 6, 3 has nothing to do with how long men would live. That is a common misconception. It only had to do with how long it would be until Yahweh destroyed the race of sinners in the flood. From the time that he began to instruct Noah on building the ark, and let's face it, I mean, this ark was pretty large, 500 cubits that way, 50 cubits this way. It was a pretty big ark, and Noah and his three sons built it. It probably took him 100 years to build it. He probably needed that time. He had to cut all that wood. There weren't lumber yards you could go to and just buy a bunch of wood. There was no Home Depot. He had to cut all those trees. He had to hew all that wood. He had to make boards and beams out of tree trunks. And then he had to assimilate the knowledge. And he needed knowledge to do that. I can't do that today. And then he had to assimilate the knowledge that he needed to assemble it all and and make it sturdy. So I don't think that a um a horde of Mexicans came over the border to help him out. Somehow I just don't <laughs> think that happened. <laughs> now Camperi refers to Genesis chapter 7, verse 3, and he says, the second warning to finish the ark, finish loading, and get aboard was just seven days. We also can expect Compré is making an analogy of these two warnings that Noah had, one 120 years in advance and the other one seven days in advance. And he's trying to um, say that that's also a type for the warnings that we have today. And that's fine. It's his opinion. I don't really agree with it. And I'll state that, but that's what he's doing. He says, we also can expect to receive two warnings. The early warning was to give us time to prepare. I don't know how we could prepare for the end of the world. I mean, saving up MREs just isn't going to do it. The early warning was to give us time to prepare, perhaps prepare spiritually, but most of our people are not yet prepared, anywhere near prepared, even in that aspect. The second and last warning, given at the last moment, let us know that it was time to seek shelter. It would be well for us to examine these warnings so we can recognize them when they come. I do not know why Compray thought we should receive two warnings in the same pattern that Noah had. And over the course of the horrible events of the last 120 years, where over a hundred million Christians have been slaughtered on the altars of Moloch by the high priest of international Jewry, We may think that we have had many warnings, but not yet is the end in sight. Nevertheless, Compre proceeds with the signs that Christ had said we would have. In Matthew chapter 24, Yahshua also lists seven signs which would be warnings of the approaching end of the age. These were the following. 1. False Christs and False Prophets. 2. Wars and rumors of wars. Three, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. Four, persecution of Christians. Five, widespread lawlessness. Six, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached. Seven, the abomination that makes desolation stands in the holy place. And Comparé concludes. We have already seen all seven of these, but it's simply not that simple. Now, the last part of Compre's Sermon is a brief discussion of each of these seven signs. Of course, I'll have something to say in response to all of them. Some in disagreement and some some in agreement and some in almost agreement. Let's put it that way. False Christ's. There have been several false Christs, beginning with Simon Bar Kokhba in Judea in the year 135 AD. In our own days, there was Barabba Baha, who claimed to be the messiah of all religions. Even to those religions which don't have any messiah. And and that's the Baha'i movement, I believe it's called B-A-H-A-I and Baraba Baha was probably a cousin of Alibaba, and another crypto Jew. Then there was the Negro, continuing with compare Then there was the Negro who called himself Father Divine and claimed to be God. To add to the list, there was the Hindu boy whom the Theosophists introduced as the reincarnation of Christ. And I could add one more to the list, and that's William Seymour, the um, evangelical Negro lunatic that Pete Peters was actually promoting at one time. So that shows you where Pete Peters should be in the trash. As to false prophets, one of our large organizations, the National Council of Churches, offers them in quantity. And, of course, that's certainly true, but... Christ wasn't speaking about false prophets; he was speaking about false Christs. While there have been many false prophets claiming to be Messiah that's usually not found in the usually not found in the churches in denominational Christianity. While many false prophets have claimed to be Messiah, the word can be used generically as the Jews use it. So they do not all qualify as a fulfillment of this prophecy. Where Christ had said in Matthew chapter 24, verse 5, For many shall come by my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they shall deceive many. He seems to be informing us that there will be false Christs who specifically claim to be him. We also have that situation today on a much smaller scale. Although I will not name the impostors. There are several of them. Several of them are right on YouTube that say that they are Jesus Christ Returned. But I'm not going to name these clowns because I'm not going to give them any credit. Moving on to the second sign. Compare says wars and rumors of wars. These rumors have come through the centuries. Joshua told us not to become prematurely alarmed at these. See that ye not be troubled, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. However, wars were listed as one of the signs, so there must be something recognizable in them. In our own times, we have seen the First World War, in which every major nation of the world was involved, for the first time in history. Then there was the Second World War, again involving every major nation plus the introduction of a previously undreamed of weapon the atom bomb now the third world war stands at our elbow surely these are not significant enough to be the second sign and and while it's true that every major white nation was involved in those two world wars. It's not the first time in history, because if you read and understand the world as it was when Homer wrote the Iliad, well, the whole white world was involved in the Trojan War. And if you understand the reach of the Roman Empire and the reach of the Parthian Empire... The whole white world was involved in the Roman parthian wars. And then even if you understand the circumstances and reach of the Persian Empire in the days of Xerxes and Darius, when they invaded the Greeks, the whole white world, or at least all of the significant nations of the white world, We're involved in that. So it's not really the first time in history. It's the first time in recent history, we may may say. But even that isn't quite true because you go back to the Napoleonic Wars or you could go back to the Thirty Years' War. So he is – well, my point is we've always had wars in which at least most of the significant nations of our race – were involved in at the same time. But that's okay. That's a minor, point of minor disagreement. There is no doubt that the two world wars were um, destructive far beyond any of those others simply because of the magnitude of destructive capability of the technology involved, which wasn't available in those other wars. So... This is another digression. It's not even in my original notes. I'm sorry. Once again, Compré expected the Cold War, as we see at the end of this paragraph. He expected the Cold War to end in global armed conflict, but that did not happen. Eventually, the American empire prevailed as the favored vehicle of the international Jew. But now there are signs that that may be changing And once again, there are rumors of large-scale conflict. While we should not make predictions, we can only hope to see the end soon. And as Christians, act as if the end is upon us, because that's what Christ wanted us to do, to always act as if his coming was absolutely imminent, like it was going to happen tonight. Of course, it probably won't, but... That's how he wanted us to act, to conduct ourselves so that we don't go off into sin. If you, th- and, and he had a parable in that respect, right? If the servant thinks, oh, the master ain't going to be home for years, he's going to beat the other servants and, and spend his time in licentiousness and goofing off and partying and the master comes home that night and catches him doing that, he's in trouble. So we spend every day of our lives acting as Christians. Proceeding to the third sign, famines, pestilence, and earthquakes. The last several decades have seen major famines, killing hundreds of thousands of people in Russia, India, and China. Well, that would probably be good. It's just not enough. As to pestilences, only the Black Death of the Middle Ages can compare in deadliness with the influenza epidemic of 1917 and 18. Actually, I think the Black Death was probably a lot worse. We can only try to imagine the results of bacteriological warfare in the next war. It's upon us, and it's not even real. As to earthquakes all previous recorded history can show few, if any, more major earthquakes ruining cities and killing great numbers of people than have occurred in this century. So the third sign has occurred, these famines, pestilences, and earthquakes. Now, I must say that until recently, and in spite of the 1930s Dust Bowl experience, widespread famine in America and Europe seemed very unlikely short of a disastrous global weather event. And I'm not talking about global warming, because that's just bullshit, too. That's just not true. However, with this so-called coronavirus pandemic, it seems that society very well has the capacity, I'm not saying it's going to happen, but... There are food shortages and meat and dairy shortages right now. Society does indeed have the capacity to self-destruct its own food supply, at least in many aspects. That very thing is happening now. Many farms and ranches, and especially the smaller family operations, have suffered tremendous losses, not only of money, but of crops in the wake of the pandemic-related economic shutdowns. And all of it is for naught. Because even if we concede that the virus exists, I I can't know that it exists, and I can't know that it doesn't exist, because I can't see it. Something might be making people sick. It just might not be what they're saying. I can concede that the virus exists, but the hype is a hoax. There's no doubt in my mind. Now for the fourth sign of Matthew chapter 24. Persecution of Christians. I need not remind you how Christians have been persecuted in every land behind the Iron Curtain. And, and, well, that's only partially true because many of those people were not Christians. They they weren't white many of them were and compare gets that part right but when you say behind the iron curtain and and i said it before russia and earthquakes that not enough people died well i wasn't talking about ethnic russians about true slavic and germanic people i don't we don't want them to suffer or die ever but in russia is a confederation of of many um, regions in in the USSR, as Compare knew Russia, and and most of them are not white. And who cares how many people die in in um, East Asia and and in Central Asia who are not white or in India? I don't believe that Christ was referring to those events that they should be signs to us. Unless, of course, New Delhi and Sri Lanka just suddenly disappear into the Indian Ocean. That would be a help. That would be a start. (laughs) Beijing maybe could slide off into the Pacific, but that's a long trip. (laughs) Or be covered by the mountains that surround it. That might be better. Okay, that's another digression. But we have to... um, The entire... Prophecy and gospel and words of Christ are focused on the white nations of Christendom. They are the descendants of the ancient Israelites. When Christ speaks of these things, he must be speaking in reference to them and not in reference to these squat monsters and and yellow monkeys. (sighs) So that's a little exasperating because Compré kind of bordered on doing that. I need not remind you how Christians have been persecuted in every land behind the Iron Curtain, and white Christians certainly were, but so were a lot of non-Christians claiming to be Christians. He says, far over 30 million Christians have been murdered in Russia alone, and that's true of Russia and, and the um, Holodomor, the terror famines in the Ukraine, and that's absolutely true from the time of the Bolshevik Revolution and up through the 1930s and beyond in persecutions greatly exceeding anything under the pagan roman empire and yes that's also true but the jews instigated the romans to persecute christians in bolshevik russia they were in charge for themselves so of course the persecution and and murders of white christians were much much worse Persecution of Christians goes on today, much nearer home than in Russia. In New York State, while it is permissible to advertise kosher food served here, any hotel keeper who advertises that his hotel is near churches is heavily fined and sent to jail. They are trying to get the same law passed in California. So don't think you are safe as long as you stay away from Russia. The same Canaanite, Khazar Jews who brought communism to Russia, are trying to install it here also. And of course, we see that. We have seen the so-called, quote-unquote, free world sliding towards communism over a clear pattern that, that so far has it, gone on ever since that Federal Reserve was was born in 1913. So Compré is right about that, but I don't know to what law Compré refers to in New York. I did check websites for various hotels in New York City, and often they do indicate that they are near one church or another. Mixed in with the list of attractions in related pages of their websites, they do not use it as a selling point. I don't think most of their customers would even care. at at this point. So no, they don't use it as a selling point, but going back to the 1970s, I don't really know what law Compre is talking about. I'm not calling him a liar or anything like that. He was probably right. There probably was laws regulating that. I don't know. So I went looking for it, and I couldn't find it. In the United States, and in at least most of Europe, I should always say in these United States, but I can't be technically correct with every single phrase I use. And in at least most of Europe, denominational Christians should not be expected, should not expect to be persecuted. The churchgoers should not expect to be persecuted, as their doctrines are now regulated and formulated in a way that satisfies and conforms to these secular governments and their agents. But true Bible-believing Christians, who seek to be obedient to God, those who reject state schools, sorcery, which is what pharmaceuticals are, sodomy, and other sins are already being persecuted. There is no more respect of any right to freedom of religion or association. And practically everywhere in the West, it is already difficult to function as a Christian. The so-called coronavirus pandemic can only exacerbate this situation, and in many respects, it already has. Moving on to the fifth sign. (laughs) Widespread lawlessness. If you read the daily newspapers at all, you already know more about this subject than I could tell you in many hours. Never has the world seen crime on such a scale. There have always been hardened criminals among the adults and in some criminal gangs. Today, the average age of criminals in the state prisons is in the early 20s. Juvenile delinquency, a polite name for every kind of vicious crime, because everything Um, done by people who didn't do nothing, is done by youths, is increasing rapidly. While there has always been a certain amount of crime, the sudden great increase of it in our time, like the change in character of warfare, coming at the same time as the other signs, makes this lawlessness recognizable as a sign. And that is true. Crime has escalated exponentially since Compré wrote this, although it was indeed ubiquitous in the mid-1970s. I guess that's my favorite word tonight. It was mostly contained in certain areas of the big cities. Now it is everywhere since the hoodlums, the thugs, have been purposely redistributed the gangsters have been purposely redistributed into all of the small towns and rural areas in the country by state social services agencies. And that is also by design. In Europe, the same thing is happening as waves of criminal Arab and black immigrants from and Near East are being settled in every town and village. The end of the age need not come with an armed conflict. Every nation gathered against Christendom by Satan, the Jew, is already looting and pillaging white society in acts of war purposely mislabeled and described as crime when a million Muslims move into London and start organized grooming gangs that rape thousands of white children, boys and girls, cut some of them up into their kebabs and sell them back to the people of London so that they could eat their own children. That's a punishment from God. That's a matter of the fulfillment of prophecy. But it's not crime. It's an act of war. When the hell are white people yeah, I caught myself. When the hell are white people ever going to understand that? That's an act of war. When millions of Negroes every year go into white homes in America and rape women and and rob money or guns or steal whatever they can, that is not crime. That is warfare. It's unorganized guerrilla warfare, but it's still warfare. It's war. And we're too stupid to see it, even though the figures in the crime statistics are black and white. Well, they used to be black and white. Because now, in order to further obfuscate the nature of the war against us, the FBI, and and this happened in the Clinton administration, the FBI had started classifying Hispanics and Indians and all kinds of other creatures as white. Where I know, as a law enforcement officer in the 1980s, I know from experience that we did not do that in the 1980s. We had a classification for all those bastards. It was called other. And nobody I worked with would look at, at a subcontinental Indian or, or an Arab and write white. They would always write other. Wow. In the, in the Clinton administration, they suddenly became white so that the white crime statistics looked almost as bad as those of the blacks but it's still not even close in the violent crime categories it's still not even close and the white crime statistics are probably multiplied by a factor of 10 by their doing that by counting all these other bastards as white but it's still not even close to the criminal crimes of the niggers okay That's another digression. Now for the sixth sign, Compré said, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. For almost 20 centuries, the churches have preached a different gospel, the gospel of personal salvation. Many ministers have even tried to deny that there is any other gospel Yet, Yahshua preached only the gospel of the kingdom of Yahweh. Now, after almost 20 centuries, we who follow the Bible are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. In itself, this is a sign that the end of the age is at hand. It is interesting to note that in the Greek, the word Used here means, then shall the end come, meaning the very end. And that word telus can mean end in several aspects or fulfillment. Now, this is the portion of Compre's sermon, for which Clifton Heiser had written his second of two critical notes. So Clifton said, then Compre rightly stated, now after almost 20 centuries, we who follow the Bible are preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Yahshua Christ called his apostles to be fishermen, but Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16, also spoke of the time for the hunters thusly. Behold, I will send for many fishers, saith Yahweh, and they shall fish them, and after will I send for many hunters, and they shall hunt them from every mountain and from every hill and out of the holes of the rocks. The hunters are no other than the archaeologists who have found Israel's footprints. The hunters started their work in the early 1700s. And because of their findings over a period of time, the gospel of the kingdom began in earnest. Thus, the history of the lost tribes of Israel is recorded in the rocks rather than the Bible. And, of course, the Bible does point for us which direction to go. Compre is correct that the gospel of personal salvation is not the gospel of the kingdom. And Clifton is correct that the period of the hunters eclipsed the period of the fishers several centuries ago with the advent of archaeology by which we can establish, without doubt, the identity of the true people of God but once that is established and it has been i don't care if you didn't hear it yet that doesn't mean that it hasn't been proven just because a man personally did not hear something that doesn't mean it hasn't been proven but once that is established and it has been there is only that there is one other phenomenon which must become manifest and that is the Elijah ministry. Christ had explained to his apostles in Luke chapter 11 that the coming, of the, the coming of Elijah prophesied in Malachi chapter 4 was fulfilled in John the Baptist. But in Matthew chapter 17, where Christ once again discusses Elijah, he informs us that the prophecy of Malachi has more than one fulfillment where we read from verse 10. And his disciples asked him, saying, Why then say the scribes that Elias, the New Testament name for Elijah, the Greeks didn't have a J or an H, that Elias must first come? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things truly shall, future tense, first come and restore all things. But I say unto you that Elias is come already, and they knew him not, but have done unto him whatsoever they listed. Likewise shall also the Son of Man suffer of them. This was after the death of John the Baptist, so there is another fulfillment of Elijah, yet in the future, at the time when Christ had spoken had spoken those words. We read in Malachi chapter 4, from verse 4, Remember ye the Lord of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of Yahweh. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. It was not possible for messengers of the Christian gospel to turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers until the advent and understanding of what we know as Christian identity of all Christians. Only identity Christians seek to know and to keep the commandments which are found in the laws of Moses which Yahweh God had given to the children of Israel at Horeb. Therefore, Christian identity fits the qualifications of the prophesied Elijah ministry where Christ said, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things. The restoration of all things in the context of that prophecy is a restoration of all things between Yahweh God and the children of Israel, and that is what Christian identity also properly seeks to do, but not yet has its message gone out through every nation, preached in all the world for a witness to all nations, mostly because the Jews and their agents have demonized it. When the time comes, it will be preached in that manner, and they will not be able to stop it. For that, we must be prepared. Now to finish Compré's sermon, as this is his final paragraph. He concludes with the last of the seven signs of Matthew chapter 24. The abomination of desolation, spoken of by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place. This seventh sign was fulfilled in early June of 1967, when the Jews treacherously seized the old city of Jerusalem and the site of King Solomon's temple. Detailed proof that this is the abomination of desolation is much too long to be told here. I have recorded a tape on this subject. I will probably have to critique and review, review and critique that one day soon. Beyond possibility of error. This is the abomination of desolation. Remember, Joshua spoke of this as our final short-term warning of the coming of the end of the age. The wise will recognize this and be ready. And Bertrand Compré is correct in the aspect that this is a very lengthy subject, which is difficult to summarize. But we do not necessarily agree with his interpretation, and we certainly do not agree that it is infallible. None of us are infallible, period. Nobody, only Christ. Perhaps it is in my commentary on Matthew chapter 24 that I had written, in the greatest detail, my own opinion of this matter, of this prophecy. To correctly interpret what Christ had meant by abomination of desolation, one must turn to the Old Testament prophets, as Compray mentioned Daniel, where that same phenomenon is mentioned. In the prophecy of Daniel, he uses the same language to describe a phenomenon that can be connected to both the advent of Muhammad or Islam, and to the founding of the Israeli state in Palestine. Muhammad was also the little horn of Daniel chapter 8. The spread of Islam fulfilled that prophecy in Daniel chapter 8. As for the advent of Muhammad and the founding of the Israeli state in Palestine, Both of these events are ultimately the product of the same people whom we now call Jews. And they have both caused much desolation. Daniel gives two periods of time in relation to these things. One of 1,000 in relation to the abomination, I should say. One of 1,290 days and another of 1,335 days, and they are described to run concurrently in Daniel chapter 12. Capra himself admits elsewhere in his sermons that in Daniel, a day is a year in prophecy, understanding that the two periods can be interpreted as to mark the space between significant events in the beginning in the beginning history of islam which was then used by the jews to destroy much of europe to cause much desolation and significant events in the history of Zionism, such as the founding of the united states federal reserve which has given the international jewish banking families of europe and now also of america global financial supremacy and also of the founding of the Israeli state in 1948. I believe it's um, 1,290 years from the time of Muhammad's flight from Mecca to the time when the Federal Reserve was founded. That's Daniel's 1,290 days. It was 1,335 years from the time of um, Muhammad's first success, to the time of the founding of the israeli state in palestine i'm certain that's how i explained it in my commentary on matthew chapter 24 which shall be linked to this program it's a little tedious to read it my early bible commentaries do need to be better formatted and that's something that i hope to work on one day in the future jerusalem was left desolate in 70 AD, according to Christ himself. The Dome of the Rock was indeed an abomination of that desolation. A temple built by sand by mongrels, manzers, Arabs in the name of the God of the Bible, who they claim is also the God of their Quran or a prophet of the God of their Quran or however they explain it, it's all trash. But that is certainly an abomination of what Christ said would be a desolation. And he said it ahead of time. During his ministry in the gospel, it's recorded, your house shall be left to you desolate. But Daniel also used a slightly different term, referring to an abomination that maketh desolate. The world's central banking system has made the entire Christian world desolate. Just look at it. Then the founding of the Israeli state is another abomination of desolation, but also fulfills another prophecy, which is the time that Esau would return to rebuild the desolate places, described in Malachi chapter 1. Yahweh has promised to throw them down. However, Camperet tried to make to very subtly make a prophecy of his own, tying the events of 1967, when the Jews in Palestine seized the whole of Jerusalem and the West Bank, to the seven days warning to Noah, made to Noah, in Genesis chapter 7. And I would certainly avoid any such venture. I'm not going to try to prophecy anything. Now, over 50 years later, the same cabal of Jews has the whole world lying prostrate before something that nobody can even see, that they therefore cannot even be certain actually exists. And the desolation continues. We can only pray that Christ comes quickly, lest there be no flesh left, meaning the flesh on earth, which has in it, The spirit of God. That's the only flesh that matters. Black lives do not matter. Compre had called this sermon Birth Pangs of the Coming Age, but he never explained the title in death. He only made an allusion, an allusion to the death agonies of this present age being the birth pangs of the new age. In scripture, the dawn of new and better things is often described as a, as coming after a time of darkness, a time of anguish and pain compared to a woman in childbirth. Christ said this of his own death and resurrection in John chapter 16. Verily, verily, I say unto you that you shall weep and lament, but the world shall rejoice, and ye shall be sorrowful, but your sorrow shall be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in travail, hath sorrow, because her hour is come. But as soon as she is delivered of the child, she remembers no more the anguish for joy that a man is born into the world. Today we are entering into an era in which... We, as a race, may indeed weep and lament. We haven't done it yet. It has to come. It must come according to the word of God. Very few of us lament at all. And I don't think that's on a large enough scale to actually be a birth pang for the coming age. There are so few of us, but seeing the very reasons why we should leap and lament, we must also understand that the dawn is coming. Satan will not have his way. Thank you for listening. Praise Yahweh, the God of Israel, and good night.